Hello, this is Pam Concier, and you're listening to the Accidental Muralist podcast. This is episode five. Um, I am usually talking about what it's like in the messy middle of running an arts-based business um, or being a full-time artist trying to demystify that and encourage people on their creative journeys. Today, however, I want to talk about race. And you might be asking why. And the answer is that I am a human being first before I'm an artist or anything else like that. And I think that this is the issue of our time. And um, I have a few thoughts about it. I also want to normalize talking about race because I don't think we can solve issues around racial disparity without getting used to talking about it. I was going to say getting comfortable. I don't, I'm not worried about comfort right now. I think we need to just get used to being a little bit uncomfortable, um, but start talking about it more. It's not going to go away. It's just not going to go away. Um, so I have some thoughts about this. One, one thing that gives me an advantage, or maybe it's why I'm an artist and a writer, is because I have the ability. I am what's called a highly sensitive person. That's a psychological classification these days. Um, it's about 20% of the population. And what that means is that I pick up on nuanced um, sensations, I guess, attitudes and behaviors and things, data from the environment that some, that the majority of people might overlook. Um, and I have been told by a lot of people that through my writing, usually I'm able to put words around things that they didn't know they were feeling or maybe kind of had this nebulous feeling but didn't really hadn't had time to process it or didn't have the words to put around it to understand it so I kind of see that as my role and I'm actually super honored and excited to have that role because it's what I'm fascinated by doing it I love nothing more than spending my days reading thinking processing emotions writing making art out of the things that I'm processing. So um, what I wanted to do today was talk about some of the emotions that I sort of see or feel swirling around, specifically white people. Um, this podcast episode is geared towards white people. Anybody is welcome to listen. Um, if you're not a white person, I encourage you, if you hear something that you think is out of line or off base, um, please get in touch with me. I'm open to, I will do my best to not get um, defensive and to hear what you're saying um, because I'd like to be a part of the learning and constructive dialogue. But I'm mostly gearing this toward my fellow white people. I'm a white woman, I'm 54, and I have maybe sort of the unusual background that I've been super, super conscious of my whiteness since college, for sure, definitely since right after college, because I, I went into the Peace Corps right after college. 
I was a Peace Corps volunteer from 87 to 89 in Kenya, in East Africa. Um, that shaped a lot of my perception of the world. And believe me, you cannot not think about how white you are when you are in Africa as a white person. Um, there's no getting around it. <laughs> and then when I came back from there, I taught school in the in the San Francisco in San Francisco at a school that was like 99% black. Uh, then I taught in a school that also had probably less than 1% white kids that was a mixture of black, um, Asian, Chinese, Vietnamese, Cambodian, Latina, every other kind of student. Um, very few white kids and and I also was married to a Filipino man for 16 years and spent a lot of time with his extended family and so for about 30 years from my 20s through my 40s I was very often the only white person in the room and um, or in the whole building or in the that part of the country or <laughs> wherever and that is what I chose. Um, it's what makes me feel kind of uncomfortable now, often living in Portland, Oregon, which I love this city, but I also feel kind of weird because it's super white and being in an all white space feels unnatural to me because I know that is not reflective of how the world is and it feels just a little odd, I'm not used to that. Um, so again, being here, I'm super aware of my whiteness and the whiteness that's all around me. Um, and that's kind of the way I've been for more than 30 years, is just very aware of whiteness. So that is a little bit about my background, and I'll tell a few specific stories about that later. But as far as what I want to do here is kind of break down some of the emotions that I'm feeling myself or that I'm sort of sensing in the atmosphere um, so that maybe we can get to a constructive space because here's one thing I know. This problem of racial disparity is not gonna go away after, you know, in a few weeks when people start forgetting about George Floyd. A, I don't think that's gonna happen. B, I don't want that to happen. C. Even if it did happen, it nothing has changed. So it's not gonna go away. We need to settle in for a lifetime's worth of discomfort um, because it's gonna take work to get to a place of racial equality. It is not for us to sit and wait for black people to do it and wish them well from the sidelines because believe me, they have been working for generations and it's not their problem to fix. They did not create this problem. They have already been working to solve this problem and it is our problem. We didn't create this systems of structural racism, but we can do things to change them. That's our job. So. That's the goal of this, is to tell a few stories, kind of unpack some of the emotions going that you might be feeling around it, and then um, I'm not gonna lay out like, here's what we need to do, but I am gonna put a little challenge at the end and some, some 
thoughts. So what emotions are going on? Um, I feel like the main ones that I am sensing is among white people is a lot of shame and guilt. I have learned from Brene Brown, and maybe you have too, the difference between shame and guilt. Shame means it's like I, I am a bad person. That's what shame looks like. Guilt is I did a bad thing. Shame can be, everybody feels shame about different things. I feel actually a lot of shame about my whiteness because there's been so much oppression of non-white people by white people all around the world throughout history that it makes me ashamed of my whiteness. Um, but shame also isn't super constructive because, uh, you know, usually it just, it can kind of paralyze somebody. And that's what I was feeling a lot of last week. Like I was having these feelings of like, God, no matter what I do, you know, at the end of my life, I'm still going to be as white as I was when I was 18 and started waking up to this stuff. Yes, that is true. <laughs> that's not a reason to not do anything. So not super helpful. Um, but you know, shame can't live in the light. It, it flourishes in darkness. So maybe it's worth, you know, journaling about it or talking to a close friend about the shame that you're feeling. I'm saying mine on the podcast. So, um, there's shame related to that is guilt. Guilt is I did a bad thing. Um, I've been feeling also a lot of guilt, um, because there's always more I could have done. I, I did choose jobs in throughout my career that were, in my view, directly going with both feet into places where I could do my best work to bring quality education to underserved areas or, you know, to do my best for in service of equality. But guilt is me thinking I could have done more. I could have, you know, did I... Did I do all that I could? Should I have said more? Are there times, and yes, there are times where I could have said something when I let some comment pass, um, where I got kind of complacent, or, you know, it's even though I'm, I've been out doing that work in communities, I still have the privilege of going home to my whiteness and, you know, kind of coming back to something safe and easier. Um, so I have felt guilt about, you know, I should have been doing more. I should be doing more right now. I should be going to more protests, you know, so that's, that's something. Um, let's try to have that be a motivator because guilt can motivate you into action. So I'm not really running away from the guilt. I'm trying to, I don't want to be overwhelmed by it, but I want to keep it sort of lighting a fire under me, I guess. Um, I've been feeling frustration in a few different ways. One form is at some white people who I see in emails or social media or TV commercials or whatever kind of announcements, sort of scrambling to catch up. And it appears there are a lot of white people who since the video of George Floyd's murder a month ago are just sort of realizing that 
the depth, the extent of the racial inequality of our country. And to those people, you know, it makes me want to be like hand to forehead, like seriously, you're just realizing this now. <laughs> you know, like where where have you been? And and I kind of know where they've been because I I went to Stanford. I love my alma mater, and a lot of my friends, most of my friends from Stanford, are in public service or education, doing really good things in the world. But in the zeitgeist in the late 80s when I was when I graduated in 87 investment banking and management consulting those were the buzzwords I don't even know what those things mean, but I think some of them take place on Wall Street I think they're you know, they're kind of about making companies get richer and um, Strengthening corporate America, so even though I didn't know a ton of people personally who were going into those jobs or I'm not close with those people. I know that many of my classmates were headed off that way and there was kind of a, there weren't many of us going into the Peace Corps. I don't, I don't know if I knew anybody else from my class who was. Um, and I remember kind of being looked at sideways like, really, you know, why would you want to do that when you could go make money? And then again, you know, when I took jobs in underfunded, high poverty impacted schools, there was sometimes a feeling from my white world of like, why would you want to do that? Why wouldn't we want to work in a private school or, a, you know, a quote unquote nicer, better school? And so now when I see maybe some of the same populations scrambling to rewrite their companies, um, policy on race, racial equality, um, and look like they're doing all the right things. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, where were you? <laughs> what, what have you been doing for the last 30 years? And it makes me a little frustrated at that scrambling, like deer in the headlights, like, oh shoot, you mean everybody has to worry about this? And the answer is yes, everybody does. Some of us have been at it for a while, which isn't to say that I have it all figured out and I'm good. Um, I'm still learning every day, but um, it's something I've been thinking about also every day for many decades. So there was another kind of my, another part of my frustration linked with that was that as a white person from the outside, I'm being lumped in with that same group of clueless white people. And that was really frustrating because, and I had to sort of rage in my journal about that because, you know, from the outside, I'm just as white as anybody else. And so um, that was instructive though, because what is it that we all want? We want to be seen as an individual. We want to have our own unique gifts and contributions recognized and look at how black people are treated in this country. They are lumped into this one big group assigned um, adjectives and qualities that probably 99% have nothing to do with that individual, but there are these negative associations that have been put on them. And no matter how high achieving or you know what they've done in their life, 
because of their black skin, we they are assigned this label, and that must be infuriating because you know it infuriated me last week being lumped into ignorant whiteness, um, and that was just for a week. And you know, I it I'm trying to use these thoughts and these feelings that come up that are frustrating and see what are the lessons like how can I how can I turn this a quarter turn so that it helps me um, deepen my understanding of what other people might feel in other racial groups or other you know other groups that I don't belong to so that was a frustration of mine being lumped in with you know the people who just now, after seeing that video of George Floyd, are just realizing, oh, this is a problem in our country. And, you know, a peop someone on the, seeing me out on the corner at a protest march, they don't know that I'm not one of those people who just figured this out. So, um, and then, Despair was another thing that came up this week. I had sort of this, because I've been at this a while, and um, and I, I was in, invested in my teaching job enough that I actually had burnout. I didn't know that there was such an actual physiological thing as burnout at the time, but when I look back, I think all the signs were there that I, you know, I just couldn't go on and I had some health issues come up and when I got out of it, but there, I, I was feeling a little despair last week, like, I think I mentioned this already, that, you know, at the end of my life, no matter what I do, I'm going to be just as white, what does it even matter, you know, what more can I do, and I think that was a projection outward of what I was really feeling, which was inadequacy of, like, I should have been doing more and I don't like to shit on myself but you know this is this is a situation where um, we need to keep we need to find ways to pace ourselves so that we can continue this work for the long haul meaning the rest of our lives I I don't think that we will have this race question all worked out in this country in my lifetime, unfortunately, and um, we still need to do the work so that in some future lifetime, some future generation, they will not have to work on this same shit again. So um, I'm trying to shift out of that despair and just realize that's just me sort of feeling sorry for myself and trying to ignore the fact that I could have done more. And uh, and again, let it kind of light a fire under me. So those are some things that came up for me last week. I don't know if you can relate to any of those. Maybe you had some other feelings. Um, but I wanted to tell a couple little stories because these are other, one thing I did last week in my, there was one day where I sat down and in one fell swoop I wrote 16 single spaced by hand pages in my journal because I just had so many things going through my head and I had a lot that I needed to process. <laughs> so um, 
one thing I did was sort of go through my lifetime or my, you know, my career and try to, and I went back to sort of examine, like, what were my motivations for going into the Peace Corps? What kind of values was I bringing there? Was I trying to indoctrinate people into capitalism and, you know, whiteness? And, and so that was interesting to kind of bring that awareness back and try to put myself in that frame of mind, you know, as imperfect as that attempt may have been. Um, I ended up feeling like, you know, I think I, I think I was drawn to those things for genuine reasons. Um, I did not do any of it perfectly, but I ended up feeling like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a disaster. It wasn't a superficial, you know, like give me a pat on the back kind of situation. So, but there were a few stories that came up that, um, that gave me sort of a, a little aha moment. So in Kenya, I, um, I had a good relation. I taught high school English in a small community on the Kenyan coast, which is on the Indian Ocean. My community is called Msambweni. It's located between, about halfway between the port city of Mombasa in Kenya and the border of Tanzania. So it's down on the coast, beautiful area. Um, I had a good, I, I taught English, high school English at the local school, and I had a pretty good relationship with the students and the, the staff members there. It was harder outside in, outside the school community in the village because I felt like people didn't really understand what I was there. It was, it didn't, I, I went there with expectations of like, oh, I'll just become part of the community. And that was really hard to do. That did not work out so much. But um, the hardest thing about living there was these, <laughs> that was being taunted by children. I had, the, there were these young boys who, not necessarily the same ones all the time, but it seemed like every single day for two years of living there, there was a group of boys who just delighted in taunting me. And they would shout at me, Mzungu, Shilingi, Mzungu, Shilingi. And that anywhere in the country you went, somebody was going to shout that at you. What it means is, white person, money, give me money. White, hey, white person, give me money. Um, every day for two years. They saw the little house, they knew the little house I lived in in the village. They saw me walk about five or 10 minutes away to the school every day. They saw me buy my vegetables at the little vegetable stand and my flour and rice at the little kiosk. And you know, they saw me living in this community and maybe teaching their older siblings. But every day they would shout at me, Mzungu, Shilingi. And it drove me insane. I would sometimes lay in bed at night just seething with rage because I could not stand these kids shouting that at, at me. And it sounds kind of silly, but when I look at it now, it kind of, you know, makes me a little stressed out just thinking about it. So what was happening there again? So here I am trying to sort of fit in and do my work and become part of the life of the community. And there's these constant reminders, not just subtle, but like shouting at me every day, you don't belong here, you're not, you're not from here, you're different, you're different, you're rich, rich, rich. And that was all they saw of me. 
even though they knew in some part of their brain that I was a teacher, that I lived there and that I'd been there for a while and was going to be there a while, all they saw of me was white person and their only association with that was money. So again, you know, interesting to turn that around and see how we treat people of other skin colors in this country. The big difference, and I want to stress this, I'm not trying to equate the two things. The big difference is that I was there voluntarily. It was temporary. I knew, you know, I chose to be there and it was a finite period of time. It was not the case where here in this country, this is your life and every day if you're black and you go out walking, you know, you, your life is in danger because of your skin color. My life was not in danger from these little boys. It was just like they were driving me crazy. The other thing that I was thinking about is I have absolute respect and awe of the resiliency, the self-control, the dignity of black people in this country because the amount of rage that I'm sure every one of them or the vast majority are carrying inside their bodies, I cannot even imagine. Those little kids almost broke me in two years. <laughs> and they were little kids just shouting at me for money. They weren't endangering my life. They weren't, you know, like denigrating my humanity. I mean, it, it kind of felt like that, but it was a minor case. So that gives me pause and I just, you know, I don't even know, I can hardly fathom where the reserves come from if you are black in this country. Um, so, you know, that's one way if you're wondering like, what can I do to help? Maybe donating to social, like therapy for black people or some kind of self-care just because I, you know, I got a little taste of it. It was so small in comparison, but it, yeah, that's, that's just something that kind of blows my mind. So, so that's something. And then I, so I, after I came back from Kenya, I taught um, a year or so later at a school in San Francisco that was about 99% black. It made my Peace Corps job, Peace Corps had the motto then, I don't know if they still do, the toughest job you'll ever love. And working at Sacred Heart Catholic School, which sounds like a plum, you know, easy job, it was so much harder than the Peace Corps. The, my fourth graders there um, just pretty much assumed that I was racist. And so my job was to kind of demonstrate over the course of the year that I wasn't. So that's another thing, like I think we put people of color in that position every day and I'm not speaking for every white person or every person of color, but think how often we are sort of assuming guilt or assuming laziness or any of the derogatory things that are attached to many people of color in this country and until they prove themselves otherwise. Like maybe we can work towards just giving everybody human dignity and then 
learn who they are as an individual because that I know that's what I want in my life and it's been very frustrating when I haven't gotten that and you know that seems like just kind of a baseline thing to work towards um, so I yeah I just um, have spent a lot of time in places where I've been the odd person out and if you if you find yourself traveling in all white spaces, I encourage you to kind of ask, ask yourself why, not necessarily why are you choosing them, but why are they all white? Like what is there, are there historical reasons? If it's a neighborhood thing, is it, was there redlining? You know, maybe you could look into the history of what, what the situation or the laws were in your neighborhood. Um, prior to you living there or now um, because a lot of these things still go on there's still discrimination in real estate and in education systems and it's you know we're in it we're in it thick unfortunately the civil rights era in the 60s didn't solve everything um, yeah we still have a lot to do so um, so the things that i that I hope you got out of these stories and that I'm trying to do is take situations, either memories of situations I've been in or current emotions that I find you know, myself dealing with and try to shift them to learn something about how somebody else might feel. Because um, empathy is going to go a long way. Using our imagination is going to go a long way towards trying to understand each other. And then my last challenge to you, there's this concept or term in our culture, the greatest generation. I just looked it up, and these are the people born, like my grandfather's, my grandparents' era, born in like 1900 to 1920 or something like that who many of them fought in World War I, World War II, and what, what makes them great, apparently Tom Brokaw wrote a book about this, um, was that they fought not for fame or recognition, but because it was the right thing to do. So I, I take a little, I'm always uh, skeptical of anything being called the best or the greatest or even good or bad, because I just, those are judgments and I want to know who who's the judge, but I also think that greatest, so-called greatest generation, they were also the same people who were denying um, GI benefits to non-white soldiers. So, you know, not, I'm not trying to throw them under the bus, but just, you know, like if you were white, that was really great and you, you scored pretty well and you look really good in history. Um, it's not the full story, but that's not my point. My point is that was the greatest generation, so-called, quote-unquote, um, but maybe we can challenge ourselves to be the even better generation that actually fights not for fame or recognition or I want to say money and power, but because it's the right thing to do, and maybe we can leave our mark by making actual progress toward equality and dignity for all human beings. That's all I have for today. And thanks for listening. This is Pam Concier. You can find me at allhandsart.com 
or at the Accidental Muralist podcast. And yeah, let's settle in for the long haul because this is a lifetime's worth of work. And oh, one more thing, one thing that I um, helps me from being overwhelmed is is this concept of choose your lane. You know, we can't. I want to. I want to solve all the world's problems, but <laughs> that's not. That's not realistic. So choose choose what it is that you do anyway and find a way to do it in service of justice and equality. And I will see you next time.